Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This edition of How to Be a CEO is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharmadine Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. ES Audio. Look, everything got upended by the pandemic and none of us know what we're doing because no one's been in this position before. But here's a challenge we should have seen coming and not very many have done very much about. We have five generations in the workplace. We have the Gen Zs coming in, but equally, we have people working much longer. You don't retire in your 50s anymore, let alone at 65. Anne Franca is the CEO of the Chartered Management Institute, the CMI, founded in 1947 to rebuild British industry after the Second World War, and today continuing to raise management standards in the workplace. Anne's a baby boomer herself, but she thinks the unique generational span in today's office is an opportunity to be taken. The old model of mentoring is that the wise old whomever mentors the bright young thing. Now, actually, the bright young thing is mentoring the wise old owl. And, and, and that benefits both of them. I'm David Marsden from The Evening Standard, and we're going to be talking to Anne about a whole range of diversity issues, post-pandemic trading challenges, and the difference between saying something and actually doing it. But first of all, I want to talk to her about the CMI itself as it celebrates a milestone anniversary. It might be a slightly unfair question to ask for the first one, but since it is the CMI's 75th anniversary, if you could talk to the first CEO of the CMI, what would you say to them? I would say to the first CEO of the CMI, isn't it amazing how the reason you were founded back then, which was to build productivity and actually build back better following World War II, would you be surprised and perhaps a little disappointed to know that it's just as much of a problem now as it was 75 years ago. <laughs> we still haven't solved the problem. We're still working on it. You know, <laughs> would you be disappointed or would you say, well, that just goes to show how vitally important our mission is and that it's never ending. They had the war, of course, 75 years ago. We had the war against a virus, this pandemic, which was yeah. devastating for business. Still very early stages of coming out of lockdown. Some countries are still in lockdown at various points. Is business recovering at all? Are managers able to adapt to the new environment? Well, what holds true is good managers have adapted, but not everybody is a good manager. And many managers have struggled to adapt. 
And one of, there are many reasons why they've struggled to adapt, such as we all need to deal with never-ending uncertainty, even greater ambiguity. We all need to be able to be much more agile and responsive to change um, than perhaps we're used to being. And many of our typical ways of working and um, structures, everything from the office to the office hierarchy, to the way communication is carefully curated and controlled has been upended. You know, good managers can thrive in those situations and see opportunity and grab that opportunity. But many, many of us struggle to do that. And I think that that has been something that has really been pressing for people and weighed upon managers' shoulders. The other thing I, I would say is uh, much of this has been against a backdrop of real hardship, financial hardship, personal health hardship, physical health hardship, mental health hardship. And now, of course, with war, uh, you know, cost of living hardship. So there's a lot to cope with. And that, too, is wearing down people and uh, of impacting their resilience. I was interested in the report that you guys released just very recently, the, the Everyone Economy. And you're talking about how some managers are doing things and some managers are not. But lots of managers say they're doing things, aren't they, Anne? Is there a correlation between the people who say they're doing things and actually doing things? Yes. Um, what we uh, found is a very large, what we call say-do gap. So what does that mean? Well, we asked, uh, you know, we did a big piece of research asking managers uh, up and down the country, how inclusive is your organization when it comes to X? And X is gender equality, uh, you know, ethnicity, disability, socioeconomic background, right? All the, 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 the uh, characteristics of marginalized groups. And they all said, 80, between 80 and 96% of them said, oh, yes, we're very inclusive when it comes to gender, ethnicity, disability. So then we said, okay, could you please share with us one specific program or initiative that you are, your organization is doing that you're personally aware of and, and or involved in? And suddenly the 80 to 95 percent dropped to between two and maybe 40 percent. And the average was in the 20s. So there's a huge gap, which we call the say do gap. Organizations say they're doing this stuff. Managers say their organizations are doing this stuff. The reality is. They don't know what they're doing, if anything. So what is that disconnect then? Why aren't people following through with what they say they're going to do? What, what's the problem there? <laughs> well, part of it is, you know, aiming to be politically correct, right? You know, it's the old, you know, greenwashing problem or uh, overclaiming. It's, it's very important to be seen to be saying the right things in these areas because they've come much more to the fore of public attention and, um, they're much more likely to get questioned, whether it's their investors or their customers or their, you know, um, employees themselves who are questioning them. But part of it is that these are difficult things to deal with. And um, we need to be, we need to do them for the long term. We need to be consistent. We need to treat it like any other business initiative. And this is what the everyone economy says. 
you know, yes, of course you do this because it's the right thing, but more importantly, you're doing this because this is a great way of improving your business's performance, your decision-making, and your ability to attract and retain talent. Um, But this is hard. And let's face it, there is backlash. The same report found that up to a third of male managers, for example, think gender equality efforts have gone too far. You talked about retaining, finding and retaining talent there. That's an, that's a quite a pressing problem right now, isn't it? Well, you guys have discovered that, you know, there's a lot of people being left behind. There's a lot of people not getting the opportunities that they could take. Well, one of the findings of the everyone economy, which is very shocking and disturbing, is that 52% of the people that we surveyed feel that they've been held back in their career at some point due to their identity. And that is disproportionately felt by ethnic minorities, by LGBTQ plus people, by disabled people, by women. Um, So there's a real issue. And actually, because there is a a talent scarcity, we're having record vacancies, we're having actually record numbers of people shifting their jobs. So if you're an employer and you're trying to attract talent, yes, of course, you need to pay them more. But you also need to be much, have a much wider definition of talent pool. And you can't afford to overlook all of these, you know, the people with disabilities, women, um, people from poorer socioeconomic backgrounds, because we need these people actively participating in the in the workforce to um, fill the talent gaps. And, you know, the bonus is you're going to get better business results when you do that, because more inclusive cultures produce better results. And there's a lot of evidence around that. And as a woman who's risen to the top in management, running the CMI, is it frustrating for you or are you indeed actually quite worried about who's coming up behind you? Are you concerned that, you know, you mentioned there that people think that there's too much political correctness and some barriers appear to be rising up again? What we need to do is, again, make inclusivity part of management doctrine. So it's, it's the definition of a good manager and leader. In the same way that perhaps, you know, 20 years ago, it was the charismatic leader that paints a big vision and says, there's the hill over there, we're taking it, and use lots of military language along the way, right? Let's capture that hill, let's win the battle. Well, now we need actually managers and leaders that that listen, that are empathetic, that actually embrace difference and seek out different points of view to get to a better decision. It is a vital part of being a good manager and leader. And I think that, you know, obviously many in the younger generation automatically get this, um, but all managers need to get it. And if you if, if you have, man- if, whether you're a CEO or a middle manager, if you're not doing this, you are losing talent and actually increasingly people will leave your organization because of it. So yes, of course, I... I'm concerned about the say-do gap and I'm concerned about the backlash. But really my message is, if you don't do this, you should be concerned because your business is going to underperform, you're going to lose talent and your competition's going to outperform you. And then you've got that great resignation that everyone talked about post-pandemic. Is that actually starting to influence how companies, how managers work with people now, do you think? Absolutely it is. And you can see that. So of course, 
um, in the cost of living crisis, and there's evidence in this that you know wages are increasing, right? Particularly in classically underpaid sectors like care and hospitality, where they they were struggling to attack, attract talent, and now they're finding well, we've you know guess what? We've got to pay them more. Well, hurrah! But it isn't just pay; it's about working culture and working practice, and also having a much broader definition of talent. So for example, flexible working, we know that 84% of managers want to work flexibly. That is not to say they want to only work remotely. That's not flexible working. It's a hybrid. It's they want to work remotely and they want to come into the office and be with their colleagues. Now the employers that get that are going to be much better off than those that issue edicts of, you know, you must be in the office five days a week. We found in our survey that 54% of managers told us that would be grounds for them or their people leaving. And there is another piece of global research by um, Nicholas Bloom and others that shows that it's the equivalent of a 5% pay increase. You know, this stuff matters to people. And even for roles that cannot be done remotely, flexible working in, in, in terms of flexible scheduling, allowing people to shape their work around their life commitments, pays dividends. Um, so employers really need to grasp this. This is one of the outcomes of the pandemic, it, it, you know, that we could we could do this and be more productive in many cases. But I guess, I mean, that's all easy to say for people who work in an office, but if you're a deskless worker, if you're, you know, somebody who's having to go out and, and, and work in retail or cleaning, mm -hmm. that's a really hard thing to do, isn't it? Because they can't, they don't have the same flexibility, I guess, to, to have flexible working. Well, that's true, but there are, there are studies that show that even in jobs like you mentioned, physical retail, cleaning, uh, when you extend flexibility to those job roles, you get increased performance and loyalty. People appreciate it. And there is, you know, this, this is about scheduling. This is about flexing people's hours. There's so much technology that you can use these days to help you to do that. And when you do that, you reap the rewards as an employer, you find it easier to attract talent and they are more loyal. And how much of this change has to be down to the individuals, the managers taking the initiative, and how much has to be the organizations themselves encouraging this or indeed making people do this? Well, it's both, right? You know, in the end, um, we talk about organizations, but organizations and organization culture comes down to behaviors, right? And people are the ones that have behaviors, right? So, so what organizations need to do, and this is a leadership task, an organization is set the culture through setting the expectations clearly of what they how they expect people to behave and then having the processes in place to reinforce those behaviors right so that means if you expect managers and leaders to be inclusive you have to have the processes in place that looks at okay so who's actually getting promoted in your organization you know are you promoting inclusively do you monitor how your managers and leaders promote team members. And if you find that they're only promoting one sort of team member, do you make an intervention? Do you have a disincentive for them to do that or an incentive for them to do to promote diverse, diversely? So this is about setting the expectations of behaviors and then backing them up with processes that reinforce that. 
But in the end, it comes down to the culture of an organization, right? Because if people say one thing and behave differently, behavior trumps words, you know, the do trumps the say every time. Now, some of you may have said you're going to rate, review and follow how to be a CEO. Maybe you could actually do it. Here's some ads. Plenty of time to at least hit the five stars button. Join us again after these. wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I've spoken to, you know, lots of companies on this podcast over the last year, and a lot of them have kind of been raising Generation Z, and it's entering the workforce now, and it's it's coming in with huge demands and, and making big changes and wanting ethical policies and, and, and fair pay and all these terrible things that nobody's ever supposed to have. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to steal anything from Miley Cyrus, but they're a bit like coming in like a wrecking ball here, aren't they? Is Gen Z having, in your experience, a very big influence, perhaps more than the millennials had or Gen X? Well, I think they're more vocal about it. And I think that their expectations are different, right? Because certainly, you know, I'm a baby boomer and it was a, a lifelong employment, climbing the career ladder, right? Um, being um, better off than your parents, the, the whole driving for material gain and all of that stuff, you know, the, the house in the suburbs, the two cars in the driveway, the country club membership, all that stuff. Today's Gen Z are not better off than their parents. They, they know and they're told all the time they won't be better off than their parents. They live in a world where, you know, as we've seen recently with the, the heat waves globally is, is, is existentially threatened by climate change. Um, so their values are different, right? They're saying, actually, that's not my aspiration. This is broadly. Obviously, there are always exceptions. What I want is... I want to have the best life I can, which means it isn't just about work. I want to pursue my interests. I want to have a voice. 
and I want to um, have a planet that's still here. I also am much more fluid in my definitions of identity than my, you know, parents were. And oh, by the way, you know, I'm not afraid to speak up about that stuff. So there isn't the the, the respect for hierarchy also because they're not going to stay as long. They're, they know there's no such thing as a lifelong job. And many of them saw their parents get laid off in sessions. So their value sets are different. And, uh, and I think that is a good thing because they can be agents of change. Now, on the flip side, many people would tell you, and they're right, that, you know, the older generation has forever complained about the younger generation. And vice versa, right? So there is that too. But the other thing um, that's really interesting as well is that we, what is also marks this out is um, this, this period that we're in out is we have five generations in the workplace because on the other side, we have the Gen Z's coming in, but equally we have people working much longer. You know, you don't retire, um, at, at, in your 50s anymore, um, let alone at 65. We have people working in well into their 70s, it, it, whether they're political leaders or CEOs or just normal workers. Um, that's part because of necessity and it's part because of longer life you know, expectancies. Um, so you have five generations in the workplace. Which is a unique phenomenon. Yeah. I, do you, are you envisioning generational clashes then between those people who are, would, would normally have left the workforce by now and those people who are coming in? Well, what's interesting, David, is that you can look at it this way. You can say there are clashes or you can again say, actually, that's another form of diversity. It's age perspective, right? And so if you form cross-generational teams, you know, you'll do a couple of things. You'll encourage people to listen and learn from each other, and you might come up with a better solution, right? I mean, a concrete example of that might be um, in the old world, if you were going to, say, invest in making the, you know, renovating the office, okay, because we've talked about the changing nature of the office and how we get people to interact. What you might have done is said to the HR and facilities department, okay, go renovate the office. And you know, they would come and show the plans to the CEO and the CEO or you know, the 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 direct the HR director or and and and, and they'd say, yes, I approve that and there's your budget. And no, actually that's too expensive and blah, blah, blah. And and, and off they would go and do a new office. In the new world what you have instead is consultation. You actually ask those employees, well, what, what do you want from your office, right? And let's get you involved in helping to shape that. And let's get you contributing to that and making helping us make a better, more inclusive experience for you that's going to make you want to turn up and, you know, you, you help tell us what you want and why you want to turn up and we'll try and make that happen. That's a very different way of working. So that's a good that's a good outcome of this is that employee voice has risen and we are engaging our employees more in these discussions. But then again, if people like Mark Zuckerberg get their way, we won't be in offices, we'll be in the metaverse. 
in a virtual office, we can decorate any way we like, can't we? <laughs> that's, the, that's the benefit of the future. But I guess then again, you know, I, I enjoy working with younger people being a, a, an aging Gen X myself because they can teach me, you know, I, I grew up just as digital was coming in, they're digitally native, so they can teach me about how to work things like Snapchat and continue to talk to audiences that I need to do so. That's, that's why I, like to have younger people around me. Well, and reverse mentoring is a very powerful force for change. And another thing we advocate at CMI for leaders is do reverse mentoring, right? You know, for us older generations, absolutely. Like you said, David, you can learn a lot from the younger generations, especially if we hear from them on a regular basis. And the, the old model of mentoring, while still valid, is, you know, that the the wise old whomever mentors the bright young thing. Now, actually, the bright young thing is mentoring the wise old owl. And, and, and that benefits both of them, right? Both learn from each other. And that's my point. We can learn from each other, but only if we include each other and listen to each other. Yeah, I just get old. I don't seem to get any wiser, sadly. But the CMI itself, we talked about right there at the very beginning, how 75 years old. Are you continuing to evolve then? I, I don't know if you can look ahead to the next 75 years, but maybe the next five? What the, how, what's, uh, what's the future for the CMI? Well, we're always learning and evolving. We have to. You know, management and leadership is, a, is, is changing all the time. What good looks like, there's some fundamental principles, right? But what good looks like and how you apply that and the situations in which you apply that uh, are very different. So, for example, you know, take uh, uh, technology. Yeah, on average, um, organizations have advanced, um, I think it's seven years in technolo technological change and adoption, and some working practices, flexible working among them, that were, you know, look how many years people have been banging on about, oh, can we please work flexibly? And it was never really accepted. Flexible workers were regarded with suspicion as skivers. You know, when you were working from home, you were skiving, you weren't really working. Um, and now the pandemic's put paid to all that, right? We've learned, oh, actually people can get stuff done and actually they enjoy it, back to that hybrid working point, and it can be more productive. And therefore, we actually, it's okay, I can trust people, they, they, they will actually get on with it. Um, and, uh, and, and so those changes need to, you know, impact how we manage and lead, and we really do need to incorporate those. So the CMI for the next five years, we have to remain agile. I mean, what I really would say to you, David, is there's no point looking five years out, because who can do that? The world is far too uncertain a place, right? You know, maybe we can look, you know, five months out, um, but five years <laughs> uh, because because it's a very unpredictable world. But there are some things. Inclusivity is not going to go away. It's a huge opportunity and we're losing talent. As I said, the everyone economy makes that clear, needs to be a part of everyday management and leadership. Sustainability also needs to be part of everyday management and leadership. Again, human behavior is a huge driver of sustainability, um, you know, in terms of what we use, what we throw away, our energy usage, um, our habits uh, of what we consume. Uh, and, and managers and leaders need to be on top of that argument and know how to become more sustainable and encourage more sustainable practices. So 
that needs to be hardwired in. So those things are not going to go away. That was Anne Franca from the CMI. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash business for the best business news, interviews and analysis. Or pick up the newspaper. How to be a CEO is back first thing Monday morning. Let's catch up again then. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.